Welcome to Tech Gems. This is an educational podcast in a series of interviews with worldwide K-12 women educators. Each episode shares an interviewed story of how these women leaders are making an influential STEM impact in the lives of girls of every ability. In addition, each episode will also provide you a digital toolkit of resources that are necessary to ensure you are providing the just-in-time access and equity to STEM learning experiences to build lifelong learning and leadership confidence in the girls that you coach and mentor. Today, I have a woman leadership influencer, and her name is Velvet Holmes. She's joining us from the Oregon, Wisconsin School District. And Velvet is very passionate about coding, but she's passionate about really inspiring girls to be their best every single day. And she's got some great stories that she's going to be sharing with us today. And our focus of this particular podcast is going to be on the importance of coding, but also some tips and tricks of how to get started uh, with a coding club. So Velvet, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to um, be here. Yes. And how's the weather there in Wisconsin today? Uh, It's cold. It's about 20. It was 22 when I woke up. I think our high is going to be 26. Oh, well, it's not too bad then maybe for the end of January, actually. No, and it's not snowing, so... Yes. That's good. <laughs> okay, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, we have a few questions for you that we wanted to get started with. And if you could just um, give a little background on yourself, even though I gave just a little bit, but we'd like to know what makes you such a unique individual as a teacher, because you've done so much with girls with your 20 years in teaching. And we'd really like to know, basically, how you're really changing the coding world when it comes to inspiring girls and young women to be leaders as you influence and mentor them. Okay, well, I've been teaching for 25 years, and um, I taught for three years in a fourth grade, and then I became a technology literacy teacher in the Oregon School District, and that's looked different every year. Sometimes it's uh, just helping teachers and doing professional development. Some years I was actually in the rotation and had classes, So I'm pretty flexible with whatever the needs are here in the district. And um, I went to a conference in Whitewater and heard about this thing called coding. Well, I kind of knew what that was already because it was my minor in college, math and computer science. But I really did not like computer science when I went to college. Um, So (laughs) I hear about this coding thing and how important it is for kids to understand what is behind all the websites and the blogs and the apps and the things that they're actually using. And they need to know how to make those things. So it kind of inspired me to come back. And then I heard about the hour of code and that really inspired me to just kind of dip my toe in with fourth graders and celebrate that and, and see how it went. And then each year it just built. And then as I did the hour of code, uh, they do point out on that site how girls are not represented in the computer science world. And so that kind of got me going. Uh, so I really wanted to get girls involved in coding. So we have had coding club. At first, it looked like it looked like a makerspace club, to be honest. I just wanted to get kids in here 
with all of the things that we had for them. So they were coding Dash, they were coding Azobots, but they were also, you know, building things and making things. And I, I, that's not a bad thing. So uh, then it evolved to be um, that I separated them, girls and boys. So one week we'd have girls coding club and the next week we'd have boys coding club. And they actually preferred that, to be honest. And oh, it's very it, interesting. Yeah. And it looked very different. You know, the boys are full of energy and they're, they're loud and running around and it's just boys. And I, that's great. You know, I have a boy, so I totally understand. And the girls would come and they'd sit down and they just kind of talk and work together. Uh, just a much quieter, maybe looked more organized. I don't think it was more organized. I think the boys just have their own way of organization. So it just looked different, and I think boys felt more comfortable just with boys, and girls felt more comfortable just with girls. Now, I would never, ever say that a boy couldn't come on a girls' week, and actually, we did have a couple boys that preferred to come on the girls' weeks, and that was totally fine. Um, just a dis different environment. So that then turned into, let's have a code like a girl party, because the site Made With Code came up. And uh, that was geared towards girls. However, I used it with all my classes. And, and really, it took about five years for a boy to actually say, all of these emoji faces kind of look like girls. And I just kind of waited. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting observation. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, oh, that's okay. I'll make it look like me the best I can. And I just thought, wow. Like, they don't even notice that this site is geared towards girls. They're coding LED dresses. I, they... They love it. Both girls mm. and boys love it. So I found that in catering somewhat to the girls, the boys just kind of played along and did what we did, and it didn't bother them. They liked it. Well, that's absolutely incredible because some of the situations that I've worked in, it seems like the boys and girls still want to be separate. And at times, the boys want to dominate the conversation or even feel like they have more knowledge to bring and want to kind of dominate that type of learning. But with your experience from what I'm hearing is that you did not have that same type of experience. I think boys uh, are a little bit more competitive um, at the elementary age here. They really want to have challenges and they want to work against each other. Um, and the girls really weren't into that. And, and that's true. Boys and girls totally learn differently. And, yeah. uh, so there's no reason not to cater to a boys and a girls club. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, since you got those clubs started, I'd be very interested in knowing how did you even start the conversation with, it was an educator perhaps, or your students, or even your administrators to even get the buy-in to start this type of club in your school district. I mean, was there any pushback? Did you get immediate buy-in? Or even what were some of your talking points to get the go-ahead from your admin leaders to start something that was so different that hadn't been done before? Um, I think the hour of code site and uh, girls who code and made with code, all of those sites have great data. And that's what administrators want to see. They want to see data. You can't, data doesn't lie. Okay. So as I, I presented those things to them, they really 
didn't feel that they could say no. They, they thought it was a good thing. So I really didn't have any pushback from administration. Uh, this year is probably the first year we've had a little pushback, but only on our uh, Girls Who Code party that we do through our community education. Uh, they requested that we did not use the word girls uh, because they felt that was discriminating. And um, so we changed it to coding for equality. Um, so, and that was fine, but the girls, we had to sit down and explain to the girls why we changed it to coding for equality. And then we ended up giving them a book and it was called code like a girl. So oh my gosh. <laughs> one of the girls is like, okay, so the party's called coding for equality, but this book is called code like a girl. So it's kind of confusing for them too. Um, I think we maybe had one parent push back for the community ed party years ago and, I think with the data to stand behind why we're doing it, there really um, isn't much ground for them to stand on. And again, we would never, ever say that a boy could not come to that party. We welcome everyone. That's excellent. Do the girls now, since you've had this um, event ongoing for a few years now, do they help? plan any of these activities or how do you get volunteers to help you so you don't feel like you're overwhelmed with so much work? Um, That's a great question. Okay. (laughs) We started out doing it on the weekend and we do it on an afternoon or a morning. Uh, And then we would have volunteers come. We had speakers come from different businesses to talk to the girls. And um, at that point, you know, we had a lot of elementary like up to fifth grade girls coming, not a lot of older ones yet. We hadn't really caught them yet. Okay. Uh, we are in the process now of having, you know, our elementary kids moving up. So hopefully um, wrangling those seventh and eighth graders and, and keeping them going because that seems to be where they get lost. So my colleague Mariah and I have been <clears throat> really talking about how are we going to get these middle school girls and keep inspiring them and keep them going uh, with positive attitudes and confidence. So we are working on that. Um, it's a, it's a tough battle because we're kind of scheduled at the other buildings and we're not scheduled at the middle school. So um, we are trying to figure out how we can be more present there. Yeah. I like that your focus is moving into that direction because as we know, the research also states that girls really do drop off with the, in the realm of everything STEM when it comes to middle school. And Absolutely. when we look at the critical factors, um, there's, a, there's a few things. The, the influence of women role models, sometimes there's not as many women teachers that are teaching some of those classes at those grade levels. But then we're also seeing that um, some of the classes are actually being offered are not as thematic unit approach as once we would do in an elementary setting. And all of a sudden now we have some subject specific areas and some other things that mm-hmm. I've heard from girls that, that, that they're really talking about why they're, they may lose that interest is sometimes it's a factor that they're getting an interest in boys. Sometimes they <laughs> feel there's almost that competitive with competitiveness with boys and they want to be more along the lines of being a peer and a friend and not feeling like, well, I'm actually smarter than you or I can do something better than you. 
So have you seen any of those indicators at your middle school level or what you have seen in general? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, but I think what you were focusing on before, uh, encouragement from an adult or a peer or a role model, seeing us doing it, seeing us get excited about it as women, I think really can be um, important at that age. And uh, you can even look at the Made With Code um, website and they give you some of those resources. And one of the things that they say is that's the number one contributor to a teen girl's decision to pursue computer science is that they have a role model. They have someone that's there getting them excited about it. They see it. Yeah. So I agree. I agree. And we've got to stick together ourselves and, and try to help these girls because otherwise it's just going to widen the gap when it comes to the, of the different genders, not going into the science field. So absolutely. Right. And I do uh, actually talk to my third and fourth graders now about why we do the hour of code and why we have a girls who code club um, because there's a whole uh, opinion and thought process that's not involved in creating apps and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's that deficit and we need to fill that because we do talk about how boys and girls learn differently and that's not bad. It's just, it is what it is. Exactly. So um, I want them to be aware of it also. Well, it sounds like you've got these coding clubs up and going and they're going very well. And I know that you do all kinds of other activities that are focused on STEM So I'd really like to know what types of creative ideas are you currently introducing to your students that you started with your coding club that you felt successful with? And do you have any examples, I'd say, for coding that could possibly be like unplugged activities as well that you would recommend to our listeners today that would really get the girls truly engaged to meet every one of their needs and, you know, the different types of abilities that they have? Yeah, I mean, code.org is definitely a great base, and that is where I started everything. Uh, Every classroom now, K through four at Brooklyn Elementary, is in a code.org class. So they are all getting some sort of coding. Um, So that's really my base, my home base. And it also has many unplugged lessons. One of the really fun unplugged lessons that we like to do are binary bracelets. But you can also change that... Yeah, you can also change that lesson for the classroom to do, you know, binary bugs, um, whatever they happen to be studying at that time. Okay. Uh, you, you can still bring that binary um, counting and sorting into a lesson. Uh, one that was really fun at the beginning uh, was there's a man on, <laughs> on YouTube who's making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and the kids are trying to give him directions Uh, commands on how to do it so you know they have to say pick up the knife get the bread and they say get the bread and he picks up the entire bread package so it's 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 funny (laughs) and it engages everyone and then they hopefully get the idea that giving a command it has to be precise and it has to be in the right order and um Then we move on to graph paper programming where they get a grid and they create a shape of some sort. And then they actually have to write down the commands on where they're filling in the squares. Uh, And then they swap with someone and see if they really gave 
commands that are in the right order and precise. So that's always a fun one too. So there's lots of unplugged in co.org. I also noticed this year that they really are trying to put some digital citizenship into their courses. And I absolutely appreciate that. I think that you can't touch on digital citizenship enough. I I agree. I agree. And it's nice to hear that it's being more blended. So it's a really natural approach and it complements then the activities and lessons. But then again, it's really showing those real life skills on how we need to be better digital citizens so we can model to the girls. But it's also that the girls really see that it's part of their work and their activities that they do. Right. And building their confidence, Mm -hmm. I think, only makes them feel better about making right choices when they're using social media as they grow up, um, being confident in themselves and really thinking things through. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, that digital citizenship piece and that building of the confidence through coding clubs um, is really important. Yeah, that's, that's just vital. You hit it right there, the building of the confidence and with those hands-on mm-hmm. learning experiences. Without that, you know, not having that access and equity to those types of materials, that, that also will be the differentiator. Um, for girls to pursue their dreams when it comes to those, you know, STEM passion careers. Right. And at first I was, excuse me, at first uh, my goal was to teach girls coding because there was this deficit. And I slowly realized that, yeah, I was teaching them coding, but I was also, they saw my excitement. They saw my confidence, even though I'm not an expert coder, I didn't give up. You know, I had perseverance and that's what they need to see in order to, to build themselves up. And I, I can't believe some of the confident girls that I have at this school right now that'll, they're so proud when they wear their code like a girl t-shirts and they come and show me and they're, they just love it. They love it. They love to be vocal about it. Wow. You are going to be all of that amazing energy behind this huge momentum for your school. So can you only imagine (laughs) that when they get to the middle school, it's going to be a whole different type of change for them. And um, hopefully that goodness can just continue on. I hope so. That's what we're, we're trying to do. Yes, definitely. The things that we're working on currently, uh, we're doing some things with micro bits right now. Um, Microbits are small little microcomputers that actually are very inexpensive to purchase. Uh, the thing I like about Microbits is they have a website called makecode.microbit.org, and they actually have a Microbit simulator on the screen. So if you don't have a physical Microbit, you can still code and you can still um, use the simulator to see if your code is correct okay. and play with it that way. But uh, a microbit's about is, is under $20. So a lot of my students have asked, where can I get one? Because I want to do more with this. Um, you know, we only, I only get them for two hours a month. <laughs> so oh, when wow. they are excited about something, they want to, you know, dig in at home. And I'm fortunate that I live in a community where, you know, most parents would be willing to purchase those things and, you know, kids can use their money from doing chores or, you know, if they got gifted money for Mm -hmm. a holiday or something. Um, And they're willing to do that because they just love it. Wow, that's that's excellent. And I love to hear that it's very, very cost effective. So that's more, again, more resources to give access and equity that's going to just change the playing field when it comes to 
the different types of opportunities for learning for those kiddos. That's excellent. That's excellent. Right. And then having that immediate feedback right on the screen is so important for this generation. They want to see it. They want it to happen right now. Oh, yeah. Everything is right now, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So being able to code and test it and then being able to put it on this microcomputer and walk around and play rock, paper, scissors or roll the dice, you know, or things like that and use the radio function to talk to each other. It's just wild, the things that they're doing. And um, I'm excited for them. That's excellent. I can't wait to uh, work with you again this summer and we'll um, have some different challenges or strategies that we can set up with those micro bits. I've only played and tinkered with them just a little bit, as they're called, basically, and uh, would love to learn with you. And um, you always model those strategies so well. And uh, yes, indeed, you do persevere, Velvet. Even when things don't work, you just <laughs> you continue on. And I love that attitude that you have. So I do. And it should be fun. That's school should be fun. It, so I try to make, yeah, I try to make coding fun. And I try to make, you know, learning opportunities out of failure and looking at it in a positive way. And, you know, if you are frustrated, then it's time to stand up, take a breath, walk away practice your own mindfulness and uh, come back to it when you've cleared your head. So absolutely. Well, you've mentioned some great ideas, some activities and some actual coding strategies, but where do you feel the literacy fits into all of this and the real world relevance when it comes into really tying in the coding engagement, learning connections for girls? Well, uh, coding is a language. Uh, and so, yes, they start out with these blocks and they put them in order. However, once they get the hang of what they're doing, they, they see that they can tell stories. They can express themselves. They could demonstrate their learning by creating a game and coding. Um, so it is a lot of reading, uh, understanding what you're reading, that comprehension piece, and, and a lot of thinking about what you're going to put on the screen you know, reflecting on what you have and debugging and making sure it's it's representing your ideas and, of course, the writing. So I do work with a lot of awesome teachers that will take a coding project uh, as a writing piece because it's just a different way to demonstrate their knowledge. And I think that flexibility is so important. We want to encourage that creativity um, and keep them thinking and dreaming. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I 100% agree. And I just want to mention, and I, I think I shared it through a boxer chat with you yesterday, but I had the most interesting conversation with the founder of elementary and elementary for our listeners um, is, is spelled E L E M E N T A-R-I. So it's almost spelled like elementary, but it has an I at the end. And what's so interesting about it, this particular site, you can actually code stories to tie in the reading and writing connections, but also your coding at the same time. I was totally infatuated listening to this woman explain the why they created this. And not only is it the importance of coding and to build projects and to support future projects when it comes to AI and things like that, but it was the importance that her and her husband discovered when they had been traveling around the world 
that so many children and individuals are not literate. They don't have access to print. They don't have an opportunity that they've actually experienced a class where they can read. That blew my mind away. I thought, really? I, I think so much we take some of that for granted. So again, it's the access and it's the equity. So if you get a chance, check out the elementary site and it is just absolutely brilliant how things are laid out and how kids can create a really creative, almost like a graphic novel story. And then they flip this board over and then they actually will do, it's called a game leveled coding in which they build their story by connecting kind of like the learning blocks again, but then they really mm -hmm. have to think about the strategy of the sequencing and the looping of how a story has to make sense. So, And I feel like that's just another representation of how we are moving forward so quickly with computer science and coding and trying to get anything we can in the hands of these students because we need some creators. Uh, they're really good at consuming. They love to play the games and uh, use the programs, but they really need to understand what is running that and, and be able to create things on their own to be successful. Yeah, I agree. That creation piece is huge. It is huge. You know, you, you've shared these examples today, and I'm also thinking, did anything ever occur out of your offering of coding that you did not anticipate from the success of your girls coding club or the types of learning experiences? I mean, have you ever just been kind of baffled? Like, wow, I didn't think the kids would do this now because of their interactions with the, this type of learning. Well, just recently, um, girls who code has promoted running clubs in your school and they will send you t-shirts and books and, and things, which is amazing. And so my Girls Who Code groups have always been usually 10, 11 girls, uh, not huge. Okay. Uh, this year I had 27 girls sign up for my Girls Who Code in third grade. So wow, that's I'm absolutely, <laughs> yeah, I'm just wowed by that number. And uh, we actually have Girls Who Code today for third grade. So um, I need to get t-shirt sizes and we need to start coding and they actually have a platform that the girls can log into and it will, it has an entire coding book online that they can read. It also has different lessons that'll walk them through different scratch programs, uh, different ways they could possibly build apps, different videos on how women are changing the world. So it's just a great program. One thing that I heard this year that I had never heard before is how come the girls get their own club for coding? Because I don't really run the Makerspace Club anymore. The third and fourth grade teachers are actually utilizing the Makerspace okay. in their curriculum, which is awesome. Um, but I kept that Girls Who Code club going because it's so important. And so I had some boys uh, in fourth grade who were really wondering why. And I explained it to them and I said, but you know what? We can have a boys coding club. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, my colleague Mariah had come up with the name <laughs> Bro Grammars. So, oh my gosh, uh, yeah. Bro Grammars? <laughs> bro Grammars, yes. So we are starting Bro Grammars in third grade and it moves all the way up through sixth grade at this point. Oh, wow. That is an incredible story. I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah. So it's evolved and it's all been positive. Um, I haven't really had any negative experiences. Kids are always excited to come and work together or ask questions and, you know, just be inquisitive. And I love that. Well, I'm glad that you shared that story because I think our listeners are going to be really filled with enthusiasm now, knowing that they have a choice of how they'd like to create their club. But then these success stories that come out of it and things that you never anticipated, like programmers. I mean, who would have thought Mm -hmm. that would have happened? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, our listeners always are looking for great tips, tricks, and tools and resources. And we call it our digital toolbox. So what are some STEM tools that you would advise our listeners to try or utilize to start their coding club and to perhaps to find success right away? or also that these resources or tools could really help them differentiate their approach to reaching and meeting those kids that might be struggling? So if you don't have any coding experience with your kiddos, um, we started with Lightbot. It's It's an app, and it's a little character that bounces from square to square, but you have to give him directions with arrows. Um, They now allow you to choose a, a boy or a girl, to go through the puzzles and my kids were always really engaged by that and it was simple enough that they could figure it out but hard enough that it was still challenging to them Uh, another one that's similar to that is codable with a k okay and they have an online uh, presence where you can actually create a classroom and with a free account and have students come in and log in and work their puzzles. Now you don't, of course, get access to all of their puzzles unless you purchase, uh, but you get quite a few and students really love, uh, Codable has these little fuzzy characters and they roll through the puzzles and okay. they've, they've added uh, that you can create your own mazes now for your uh, Codable fuzzball to run through. So that's been very exciting for my, my older kids. They want to go in and create their own mazes and challenges which I love. Yes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do a lot with code.org because again, that is like the bread and butter. It has everything on one site and the amazing amount of courses they have now that cater to the learning styles. Yes. I start third graders all in a certain course, but there might be third graders that need to go down a course. There might be third graders that need to go up a course and that flexibility is there and the puzzles look a very much the same. So uh, it's not like a third grader sitting next to someone who is maybe working in a class below them. They are not necessarily going to know that, which I like. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. It makes students feel more comfortable. Um, They also are, that's the site that celebrates that hour of code every year in December. And they have free professional development for teachers, which is amazing. Um, The other thing that I've discovered is CS-First. They create lessons, themed lessons, that uh, go with Scratch. So you actually go to CS-First and you watch videos and work through modules on Scratch. So students learn how to um, toggle back between two tabs. Now that sounds like an easy thing for adults, but... For students to understand that you do the learning on one tab and then you do the doing on the other tab. Oh, that's interesting. uh, It's a challenge for them. Some of them, it takes a while to understand that. 
So, so it's interesting, but once they get the hang of it, they love it. And like I said, some of them, they just want to go rogue. They're like, can I just go off and learn how to do this or try this? And absolutely. I love it. That's excellent. And it's so kid friendly from what I have seen, but what I also like, it's really theme based and the interest from there could be sporting activities. Um, there's also making of fashion. Uh, there's music, there's storytelling. Absolutely. And actually the first one I ever got was fashion and design. And I did it with fourth graders. I did it with the whole class. Um, boys loved it. <laughs> so my principal, I got a box that said fashion and design and she said, "Uh Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> I think she thought I had an order from Amazon or something. <laughs> I go, no, no, it's not that. It's not what you think. Um, so oh, <laughs> the that's students incredible. loved, yeah, the students loved the fashion and design. And at that point, you know, they only had like, I don't know, maybe five themes. Uh, and they'll, they'll send you paper passports with stickers if you want to, to motivate the kids. What I found as I've moved on is, yeah, you don't necessarily need that motivation. They're motivated to keep going because they're hungry to learn. And I, that's amazing to me. Ah, hungry to learn. Uh, wouldn't that be mm -hmm. something of each child uh, would like to come to school, <laughs> hungry to learn every single day. But absolutely, I think that's where coding is going to be the game changer here. And I think that's what's going to really excite and interest our students. And this is what we actually need. It's something that the kids really, truly enjoy. I mean, have you worked with any students that have been reluctant to even try or have they been disengaged due to any coding activities? Have you seen any of that? Oh, absolutely. I actually just had a student yesterday who they just sat there and I, I said, what's happening? You know, are you struggling or are you confused or do you just not want to code right now? And you know, I always give that as a choice because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. And if it's not something they're interested in, that's okay. Um, and she just said, I just have no idea what to do. Well, we were working on micro bits. And the nice thing about the Make Code site is that they give written directions, but you can also click and actually see a visual of the blocks and the code that you are supposed to put in. And so she wasn't understanding that she could also look at that visual um, and then once she got the hang of that and wasn't afraid to click around and find blocks and um, maybe pull blocks out that she didn't need and throw them away, she just needed a little push and a little bit of confidence in how to use that site. And she did great. Wow, that's excellent. And what I'm hearing what you're saying too, Velvet, is that you are really getting some personalized learning connections with these girls. And especially like the one, if she was, didn't know where she was at, she was struggling but showcasing to her of how to problem solve and how to dig deeper in, but her type of learning may have been more visual rather than uh, the literacy context sense of meaning to read all of the text. So it's great that a lot of these sites are really focusing on the needs of today's children and they know that there, there needs to be different learning modalities offered. It can't just be the same old, same old, the way we used to do things. Right. And as we move forward, it is amazing to me how many sites are um, figuring that out and they're catering to directions being read and um, a visual that students can see. So it caters to all learning needs, which is what kids need yeah. in the moment. Absolutely. 
Well, I want to thank you for your time and your opportunity to come and join us today because you've shared so much information that's going to excite our listeners. And I love to hear those practical teaching experiences because we need to have more teachers build their own learning confidence when it comes to coding, but also these hands-on experiences that are quick and simple and they can just hit the ground running and get our kids excited about coding. So thank you so much for joining us, Velvet. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Tech Gems radio podcast. Special thanks to Velvet Holmes, an inspiring Wisconsin-Oregon school teacher, for sharing her expertise and critical insights of how to start a unique coding club in your school. Tech Gems is an educational podcast show where we interview women role models and influencers in K-12 education. Each episode shares an interviewed story of how these women leaders are making an influential STEM learning impact in the lives of girls of every ability. In addition, each episode will also provide you a digital toolkit of resources that are necessary to ensure you are providing the just-in-time access and equity to STEM learning experiences to build lifelong learning and leadership confidence in the girls that you mentor and you coach.